0: Well, good morning, Bridge Church. How we doing? Y'all got made it through the snow. I know uh, it canceling church in Idaho just isn't a thing for snow. Like if it's like forty below, I hear it's a thing, but but not for snow. Um, in Connecticut, uh, there's there's probably one church open on the Eastern Seaboard, and that's my old church. And I tell you what, how many of y'all remember the Tut Rule game? It was like twenty one years ago this weekend. Nobody's a football fan and remembers how Tom Brady got his start. Okay, Tom Brady was in a playoff game against the Oakland Raiders and and clearly fumbled or didn't fumble a ball and it, and it was given back to him and they kicked the field goal and they won and that was the start of Tom Brady's career. Well, what made it so interesting is it was in the midst of a of a snowstorm. And um we you know we're, we're looking at the news about all the preparations they were making for the playoff game and they're like clearing out roads and uh you, you literally you had to like Park somewhere. Probably back then it was like forty bucks just to park. I'm sure it's much more than that now. And then you had to walk half a mile to a mile to the stadium, and then it was an outdoor stadium, so you'd have to dig like a foot or two of snow out of off of your seat so you could sit for four hours and watch a game. And while that's going on, underneath, they're scrolling all the churches that are closing. It. I was getting mad. I was like, y'all can can drive an hour because this stadium's out in the middle of nowhere, in the snow. Y'all can can sit out and for four hours in a snow-covered hard plastic bench, but you can't like take an extra five minutes to get to church. And it really helped to establish the personality of that church, and so. Uh, in, in some cases, we would actually see more people in church when it was snowy because people from other churches would know that we were open. And one of the things that I'm convinced of in, in, in coming to the bridge is that God is bringing us into a season that is something new to us. And that, that can be really difficult. I was talking to somebody just yesterday about, uh, uh, how hard it is for people to move from one season to another. And I mentioned, uh, Mark and Lisa and Stevie haven't been here for 30 years and how many different seasons they've seen come and go in the church. Right. And, and God will bring a new leader in and obviously it's going to be a new season. And then I always hear it happens every time. So it's not anything I take personally. It happens every time. Somebody will start going to another church and some you'll, you'll run into them. Hey, why are you going over there? Well, it's just too different. and And you're like, so the new church is more similar than, than your church. But what they're really saying is, look, I have a hard time kind of moving through this. And and what we're really doing in that is, and look, where there's sin in the camp, that's that's a totally different story. I'm not talking about that. But where there is just change, where there is God calling us to elevate, that's something where we have to train ourselves to get out of our comfort zones. And we have to get away from our preferences. Your flesh will always tell you that what you don't like is wrong. Your flesh will always tell you that what you don't like, I don't care if that's food, I don't care. How can you eat that? Man, how can you listen to that kind of music? And and we'll just, if, if we don't like it, it must be wrong. And God needs to change that about the way we're wired. And that's really what I want to talk to you about today. A lot of times I'll have quite a few verses, but for these next couple of weeks, this is more like a series. And it's it's two ends of the spectrum. We're going to talk today about those who are feeling kind of an unsettled uh, feeling in their spirit where God is is calling you to elevate. And and for some of us, we're feeling like, hey, I'm about to fall off a cliff spiritually. So I want to hit both those ends in the next couple of weeks, recognizing that maybe if you're in the middle, maybe maybe you'll tune out of this. But let me let me show you a verse in scripture here. Second Corinthians 13 five it says, examine yourselves To see whether you're in the faith. And and Paul's writing this to the church. He's not writing this to lost people. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. Now, the cool thing is that he goes on to talk about his his hope that nobody would fail the test. But I was reading through the book uh, Radicals by David Platt. And at the time, he was a, a pretty young pastor in Birmingham, Alabama. And he challenged his congregation with what he called The radical experiment. And I was suddenly hit with deja vu because he was applying a concept made popular in the book In His Steps. If you've never read In His Steps, you need to repent of that. That's, it's like, it's the second best-selling book behind the Bible. It's not a really long book. But Charles Sheldon wrote that in the 1800s. Remember all those people, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago wearing WWJD bracelets? Came from In His Steps. Because this pastor in this book challenged his congregation. He got, really, he got really upset about what he saw was kind of a lukewarm spirit and apathy taking root. So he challenges his people to do nothing for an entire year without asking the question, what would Jesus do? So apologies to Mr. Platt, who was ripping off Mr. Sheldon, who was copying from the Apostle Paul. But it hit me. We've been talking about some intense, life-changing truths over the past year. And I wondered... Are these truths just reverberating across the the walls of the building or are they impacting our hearts? Uh, Several years ago, there was a song by the band Jars of Clay uh, called Love Song for a Savior. And one of the lyrics were sitting silent, wearing Sunday best. The sermon echoes through the hall, a great salvation through it that goes to the people who stare into nowhere and can't feel the chains on their souls. Wow. Wow. And that's what Paul's talking about. Jesus warned us that the weeds would grow up next to the wheat. None of us think we're weeds, right? We're all just too cute to burn. We, he can't be talking about me. He has to be talking about somebody else. And so what Paul does is say, hey, look, if you're, if you're serious, if you want to know, then examine yourselves. Test yourselves. See where you are. The hard question is, okay, but how do I do that? So, the, for the past several months, we've been looking at, at, at four particular areas, and, and what I want to do today is look at those areas real briefly, but also give you four challenges to help you examine. See, when you want to like test metal or something, there's 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 processes you can you can employ to help you test the the durability of that metal or the purity of that metal. And so that's what we want to do. So the four areas that I want to look at today is first of all. How real success is measured. And that is obviously by what we give up for Christ. Uh, not what we accumulate in the world. If, if accumulation, if having the hottest spouse and the biggest house, the biggest bank account, the coolest car. If that made you, made you happy, then rich people would be the happiest people on the planet. We know that's not the case. Celebrities would have the most contented marriages of everybody. We know that's not the case. Real success, scripture teaches us, is what we give up for Jesus, not what we accumulate in the world. Now, we've been talking about how God calls us to turn away from us and and self-centeredness and open our eyes to the needs around us in our community and globally in order to walk as an authentic New Testament Church, Jesus talked about this because, hey, you know I, I, several weeks ago I used the term entropy it 's the defining characteristic of of this world of this universe. Everything is decaying, everything is fading out, our systems are even are wearing down. We talk about late stage capitalism and we talk about our our political processes, we talk about the, the, the you know the clothes on our back and, and, and all the things we have, everything is decaying and Jesus said, look so don 't lay up for yourselves treasure." ...in this world. Because you know moth is, is going to eat it up. Rust is going to take it away. Thieves are going to break in and steal. Lay up for yourselves what? Treasure in heaven. And then you will have wealth. He's, he tells us that our great greatest satisfaction... ...is not found in pursuing our own agendas... ...but in submitting to God. That's really where it where it matters about getting rid of that idea... ...that what I like is right... And and beginning to immerse ourselves in the mind of God and, and Lord, I just want, like Jesus taught us, not my will, but yours be done. The word teaches us that our greatest joy is experienced when we make much of God and little of ourselves. How many times, I bet you can't even count, as the scripture, he must increase, I must decrease. been spoken in this church over the last year a lot. And also that significance is found in the accomplishments of community not in personal achievement. We need to bind ourselves together so tightly that we're as united with each other as Jesus is with the Father. That sounds crazy. Like, how's that even possible? But Jesus prayed that prayer in John 17, that they may be one, even as we are one. And the Bible teaches us that the, the fervent prayer of the righteous man avails much. Nobody is more righteous than Jesus. So if Jesus prayed that prayer, it means that it is possible So we've been talking about these things for some time. But have we actually ever tested them in our lives? The text we read a few moments ago called us to examine ourselves for the purpose of authenticating and validating our walk with Jesus Christ. The Bible calls us to examine ourselves to see if we're in the faith. But we need to ask that crucial question. How do we do that? As unpleasant as a pop quiz is, I want to go one step further and challenge those who are willing to take a test that will absolutely answer that question. See, I'm, I'm somebody that when I was in school, I loved learning, but I hated school. So, all right. You know, you know what I'm talking about. Like I was just too, to ADV or whatever. I, it, I love, and to this day, I'll watch like science shows and history shows and, and, and can like recite all sorts of trivia to, to, you know, and probably drives my wife nuts when I do it, but, but, That's I love to learn. And that's why I do those things. But sitting in that structured environment just irritated me to no end. But I'll say this. The thing about a pop quiz is it revealed whether you knew the material or not. Right. I mean, that's that's the bottom line. I may not have liked it, but it revealed whether or not you knew the material. And so this kind of challenge, this kind of examination, it isn't going to occur in in 40 minutes on a Sunday. But if you're a serious follower of Christ... Then these four areas will not only validate the certainty of your salvation, like scripture says, make your calling and election sure, they'll radically deepen that walk as well. I see scandals all the time, man, and I'll see a pastor that, that has an affair, or I'll see a pastor that gets, you know, pulled over for drunk driving, or, or a pastor that has a gambling addiction, or a pastor that, uh, that, that has a pornography addiction. And I can sit here and check that list and say, hey, no, I don't (laughs) look at pornography. Never had an affair. You're never going to find me getting pulled over for, you know, for drunk driving or substance abuse. Just just not anything. Even before I was saved, wasn't anything I had an issue with. But that's not what makes me righteous. See, I've seen a lot of preachers that will sit there and give you the checklist like, well, you need to do this. You know, it's like you can't drink, you can't smoke, can't chew, can't hang with those who do. You can't play pool. You can't. And I knew a guy, who, you know, you couldn't roller skate. You had to wear the four spiritual colors to church. You had to have the right kind of Bible. In church. And all that is, it's what I call holiness by subtraction. Like if I get all this stuff out of my life, I'll be holy. The only way to be holy is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the only way. Now I may have to empty myself to make room for God, but if all I'm doing is just emptying myself, I'm not going to be a very attractive character. Nobody's going to want what I have if all I have to offer is emptiness. I empty myself because I believe that Jesus, and, and what he says is, He'll fill me, He'll replace. you can't outgive God. We we talk about that in the offering. But when I give God my time, when I give God my talent, when I give God my treasure, he's always intending to give me something more. So the first area of examination that I want to talk about is the place of prayer, because this involves discipline as well as intentionality in its aim. Years ago, I introduced a Sunday evening prayer meeting to the church I was leading. And I challenged the people when I started this. I said, I want you to come out, not primarily for your own needs, but come out as an intercessor. And I actually had some people complain. Hey, how how come I can't pray pray for my own needs? How come I can't pray for my sick mama or my sick friend or whatever? And I told them, I'm not saying you can't pray for that. But I'm telling you, that's not the point. Because the truth is, we usually don't have to be coaxed and convinced to pray for the things that are important to us. Even unbelievers will pray for stuff in a moment. God, will you please do this if it's if it's important enough for them? What we need to do through prayer is train ourselves to be vessels of ministry to that which is important to the Lord. That's why Jesus said to his disciples, look out on the fields. They're ripe unto harvest. He wanted them to turn their attention from themselves and turn it elsewhere. And so I wanted to focus for that hour of prayer to be for lost and hurting people, but not as a one and done. The purpose is not so we can go home and say, well, I, 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 I checked that box off and then that's done for the week. It's to train us for who we're created to be. First Peter two nine says, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. See, in the Old Testament, the role of the priest was to serve as an intercessor for the people. Now, the Bible says that Jesus is the only mediator. But there's a difference between a mediator and an intercessor. A mediator stands between two opposing parties to bring them together. Right? So if you have a divorce or a business disagreement, you have two parties that are they're opposed to each other and they have different agendas. The mediator gets in the middle to bring them together. An intercessor, on the other hand, advocates for a particular group with one whom he has. A, see, if you went into a, a situation where the mediator had a special relationship with one of the parties, that's a problem. That's a problem, right? So you're going in there hoping for fairness and you walk in the door and they're hanging out laughing. They got their arm around each other and they're like, yeah, we're best buds. That's problem. But an intercessor is expected... To have that close relationship with the party. Because even Paul was like, you know, I I would even be accursed for the sake of my brethren, the Jews. And, and even though the Jews wanted to kill him, even though he was persona non grata to them, even though he was an outcast, he was interceding for them. And that's the role of the priest. And that's our role and our responsibility. When I go to prayer, there's two things I always pray for. I always pray for these two things. Number one is the mission field that we're in. Always pray for this mission field. God, send your spirit. Draw souls to yourself. And I also pray for this body. God, cover us. Cancel the plans of the enemy. Bind him. Restrict him from moving against what you want to do. Empower us, God. And so the first challenge of this examination is to pray at least a half an hour a day and spend the majority of that time either listening to the Lord for his instruction or serving as a priestly intercessor for others and for the needs of others that God places before you. All right, how may I lose so far? I feel like Gideon. He's got to start with thirty two thousand. He whittled it down to three hundred. I must say this from the get go that it's not like a buffet where you pick one. This is either if God is calling you to elevate, look, maybe you're here and you're just investigating the claims of Christ. Appreciate you being here. We're so happy you're here. But this probably isn't for you. And for a lot of people, they're just, you know what? That's just I'm just not going to do it. So, okay, that's fine. But for those of you, God is calling you to elevate. This is how you do it. This is how you do it. Because and I've talked about this before. The Bible says we are to discipline ourselves unto godliness. And so when we begin to work a muscle, it becomes natural and it becomes reflective. And I remember Ruth and I, we were out on uh, having date night one night and we're, we're parked at a light. And this family walks by and they're holding the hands. And you could see this young girl's about 12 years old and she's frail. And she, she's, she has no hair on her head. You could tell she's, she's probably been going through chemo. But just immediately, we just joined hands and began to pray for her. Why? Because you built up the muscle. Right. You're not building up the muscle because, hey, I spent all this time in prayer every day, so I'm spiritual. No, you're spending that time in prayer so that when God connects you to the moment, you're ready to use what God has called you to use. The second area of examination is the area of study. Second Timothy two fifteen says study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that need to not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. The NIV, which I know a lot of you think is the uh, nearly inspired or the nearly infallible version, some thinks it's not inspired version. Um, it translate that word as do your best. The NASB translates study as be diligent. And what it means is that it is speaking of our understanding of god's word the greek word there is spudatso and it goes beyond simple study right because you can join a, a bible study and it maybe meets once a week and half the time it goes into a rabbit hole anyway and you walk away going oh, that was nice i mean it's cool but but i really this is speaking of depth study to show yourself approved a workman that need not be ashamed rightly dividing the word of truth The text is speaking of knowledge of the word. We have so much inconsequential stuff. I saw a post where this young woman had spent like six hours in line for a red cup. Y'all know what's going on with a red is like uh, it probably hadn't gotten to Idaho yet. I mean, it's probably going to come across the country or something like that. And it said it was by Stanley. So when I saw Stanley Cup. That's a hockey, right? So so what is a young woman doing? You know, all these young women go. It's some apparently some red cup and it's sold at Target. And like everybody's going to bust out of here and go down and see what it is. We have so much inconsequential stuff. Song lyrics in our heads, right? We have movie quotes in our heads, But then if somebody says, hey, you know, name me five scripture verses. We're supposed to be the ones that people can turn to who know what the word of God says. I don't know how many conversations I've had with people. Yeah, pastor, but I don't, you know, you said this, but I don't agree with that. Okay, why don't you agree with it? I don't think God's like that based on what? Based on what he has revealed himself in his word or based on what you want? What you think, because that's called idolatry. I hate to burst your bubble, but that's what that's how idols are created. People say, I think God is this way. And they form something and they begin to worship. The, and even if you don't form something physically, if you begin to worship a God and Jesus said there will be false Christs and they'll rise up, there'll be false messiahs, there'll be wolves, there'll be weeds among the wheat, there'll be all these things coming against the church. What's our defense? Knowing what God said of himself. Knowing what God revealed about himself. And so Jesus was the one who said, when you pray, not if. He said, when you fast, deny yourself and follow me. See, these were not just, you know, nice little things to, to sprinkle onto the, the cake. These were essential and defining characteristics of his disciples. Guys, if you're going to follow me, you're going to be praying. If you're going to follow me, you're going to be generous. If you're going to follow me, you're going to know my word. My sheep, they know me. They hear my voice. They follow me. So if you're going to be a follower of mine, if you're going to be a disciple, he said that we're going to have to get into his word and know who he is. If it's just me calling you to something on a Sunday, hey, take it or leave it. It's like books. There's only one book that I read that has authority over me, and that's the Word of God. Every other book, every other preacher, I listen to or I read for consideration. If they line up, then I'm going to say, okay, maybe God sent that person to speak into my life so that I can, can see a truth from a different perspective. But if I don't know the Word, how do I know how to line anything up with? How do I know how to align anything with? Commit yourself to diligent study of the Word in obedience to to the word go through the Bible in 2024, because there should be no such thing as a biblically illiterate Christian who has walked with Jesus any length of time should not exist whatsoever. The next area is sacrificial self-denial. If you want to know the Greek translation for the word sacrificial, it means to sacrifice. <laughs> Most of us, we give And it doesn't really alter our lives at all. But self-denial means that I give in a way that requires alteration to my life. Jesus said, if anyone, so that includes all of us, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will save it." I'm giving you a way out, Jesus said. I'm giving you a way out of this world of decay, this world of death, this world of sin. But if you cling to it, that's why the Bible says whoever loves the world hates the father. That's tough, but it's tough truth. There's a difference between tough opinion and tough truth. And so many of us, for example, we most of us probably in this church practice the spiritual discipline of, of tithing. Uh, the word commands us to bring the tithe into the storehouse. It's the only area in all scripture where God says, test me on this. I'll show you that scripture in a moment. But here's the thing. Throughout scripture, the, pa- the practice of first fruits giving all the way back to Genesis is to check our obedience to him. Meaning the first part is already his. If you go back to Genesis four with Cain and Abel. And the offering that God was pleased with was Abel's. It doesn't say that Abel gave an offering. It says Abel brought. Let me give you a, 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 a little metaphor. Let's say you're walking down the street. And you find somebody's wallet that's fallen out of his pocket with several hundred dollars in it. And you have his driver's license. So you go to his house and you, you track him down. Would you say that you gave him several hundred dollars? Or that you brought him what was his? And so the practice of first fruits giving throughout scripture is to remind ourselves of the sovereignty of God. That's why it says in Malachi chapter three, verse 10, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this only place in scripture. God says this and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. Now I've I've heard people they've 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 said to me, but pastor, you know I don't practice tithing. I'm not under the law. I said, so you don't pray either. You don't give anything. You don't uh, you don't read the word of God because all that stuff's included in the law too. The truth is, tithing predated the law. It was included in the law. It postdated the law. Paul talked about to a Greek church in Corinth the practice of proportional giving. But I say all that to say this: I'm not actually tithing. Talking about tithing. That's all free. There's no extra charge for that. I'm talking about sacrificial giving. See, I've told people, look, if you don't have confidence in the ministry of this church, in the, in the ministries we're partnering with and the people we're helping, then, then go tie somewhere else if you want to practice that. And I know my board is like, don't, what, are you, what are you talking about? Stop. But But the truth is that God is calling us to build that muscle so that we're used to releasing. We're used to releasing. So that when we come across a circumstance where there's a need, we're not clinging to every penny that we have. We're thinking more in inter- Look, a, let's say you knew that there was an investment. Let's say you could go back 20 years ago and invest in, in Bitcoin before it you know, went from three cents a piece to like thousands of dollars a piece. Okay, so you would be a multi-multi-millionaire if you would just put down, uh, you know, a, a hundred bucks or five hundred bucks. If you could go back and invest, how much would you put down? If you knew that this would explode in value. Now, it's probably not a good time now because it's already exploded in value. It's like investing in Apple now. But if you could go back to Apple in the early 80s and buy stock, how much would you invest? Unless you're stupid, the answer is everything I had that I could. Everything I could spare I would put in that stock because if I know without doubt, it's going to explode, it's going to make me a multi millionaire. just a thousand dollar investment. Well, why would I invest less? And that's what God is calling us to church. If the very first condition of following Jesus is deny yourself, what are you doing to prove the existence of self-denial in your life? How are you showing it? How are you revealing it? How are you displaying it to the world around you? If that's the first thing that Jesus said, if anyone would be my disciple, he must deny himself even before he said, take up the cross. He must deny himself, take up the cross and follow me. It's something that must be displayed. And then there's the area of servanthood. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 20, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. If you're here for the sermon Dulos a few months ago or a couple months ago, that first word servant is diakonos. It's where we get the word deacon from. If anyone would be great, they must be a servant. And then if anybody would be first, they must be. A dulos, a slave. So Jesus knew exactly what he was he was saying. Now, let me ask you this question. Who wants to occupy the lowest position in the kingdom of heaven? Now be careful, I didn't say who's willing. I'd be I'd be content as if I just made it in. And that's what the Bible says. You know, better to be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord. Doorkeeper was the one at the very back of the room, but they were still on the right side of the door. Jesus talked about those. The door is closed and they're pounding on and saying, sir, open up for us. Well, that's that's the wrong side of the door. The doorkeeper was in the back, but they were on the right side of the door. So as long as I'm on the right side of the door, I'm, I'm, I'll am i be OK. But that's not what I'm shooting for. I'm not shooting to just barely make it in. I, I knew this guy and he was a well-known. He was a well-known evangelist and somebody else was talking about it who knew him well. And and they asked him because he had said something crazy or done something crazy. And they said, is this guy even saved? And the guy responded, I think so. I think so. How'd you like that to be your epitaph at your funeral? I I think she probably made it in. Right? I mean, if the preacher's up there going, well, I'm going to go out on a limb and say, he probably was saved. Right? That's That's not what you would see. I've told I remember somebody calling me up saying, Hey, will you do a funeral for this person? Because they were a family member, they didn't attend a church. And I I said, I'm probably not the guy that you want to do this funeral. Well, and they were going, Oh, you know, we've seen you preach, and we I said, Yeah, but I'm not gonna lie. (laughs) So, so I talked with them at the end of it, they got mad and they said, You know what? You're not the person I want preaching this funeral. I said, That's what I told you when you call me. And I wasn't a guy, the guy, because they wanted me to lie. They wanted me to get up there and say, you know, this person just loved the Lord and they were, you know, they're in heaven and there's no doubt they're they're walking the streets of gold. And I'm like, yeah, I got a lot of doubt, man. <laughs> but the Bible tells us run the race to win it. Don't don't run just to finish. You know, every now and then you see these inspirational stories about somebody. Maybe they've got a disability and they run a, a race and they finish it. and Everybody's excited. OK, and and that's cool. But. Man, I, I, I've known people that would run the Boston Marathon. And if you are a real prime runner, if you are a top athlete, you don't just show up to those things to say, I finished them. Because you can do that anytime, right? You can go right. If you are somebody who can run a marathon and and more, you can run that race anytime you want just to say you did it. But you get in the race to win it, not just finish And Jesus doesn't, it wasn't saying that wanting to be great is a bad thing. I think of the, the prayer of Jabez and that whole trend that went through the church, you know, 15, 20 years ago, whenever that was. And, and here's a guy that his name meant pain, right? I mean, how'd you like have that be your name? And so he prays basically, Lord, don't let me live up to my name. Don't let me fulfill this. Don't let this be my destiny. And God honored his prayer because the Bible said he was more honorable. He was more honorable than his brothers. See, the problem isn't wanting to be great. The problem is wanting greatness without actually being great. See, there's some folks counting on Jesus to lie on them on the day of judgment. That Jesus is going to lie over them. Because they didn't do well. They weren't good. And they weren't faithful. And they weren't a servant. But they expect to hear the words. Well done, good and faithful servant. Sorry, Jesus is not going to lie over your life. If you didn't do well, if you weren't obedient, if you weren't faithful, then Jesus is not going to speak those words over your life before the father, because he is the way and the truth. That's who he is. And so in light of that, let me challenge you to choose an area of ministry and commit to doing it for at least a year. Choose an area of ministry and commit to doing it. Look, church. I'm not the teacher. I'm, I'm like the teacher's aide passing out the quiz. The teacher is Jesus. And this is serious business because God is raising. We, we are seeing greater attendance. We are seeing greater giving. We're seeing new ministries. We're seeing our connections with other ministers where we're able to say we're going to do more to help. Idaho Falls Rescue rescue Mission, or we're gonna do more to help go and grow and release people out of, out of slavery. And so when God is doing that, it's not so we can kind of pat ourselves on the back and say, hey, I checked off all the religious boxes. Why is God elevating our church? And that's the question that, that we need to ask ourselves. When we ask us, when we, when we read that, examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. In other words, take a look at yourself, And and say, am I in the faith or am I just surrounded by people who are? Right? Am I just surrounded by folk who are in the faith? The upside is that as you take that test, it authenticates the reality of Christ in your life. I don't know how many times. Because, man, we've all been there. And if if you say you haven't, you're lying. We've all been there where, man, we think we left something in the past and we left it in the dust. And all of a sudden, man, that anger, that bitterness... That unforgiveness, that bondage, whatever it is, it comes back up and jumps us. And we're like, how? We're just so frustrated. And you go to the Lord and you're like, man, am I even a follower of Jesus? I can't even believe that I messed up again. I can't believe that this is back in my life again. And you know what God has almost always done? He's reminded me. Remember, remember when you were preaching last week and that word came to you? And you didn't even have it in your notes. Where do you think that came from? Because you know it didn't come from your flesh came from my spirit remember when you were worshiping and you began to tear up and you just began to think about jesus and you just began to praise him where do you think that came from your flesh see god comes behind it and reminds you i'm working in your life unless paul said like or like paul said unless of course you fail the test if there's no evidence If there's no passion, if there's no heart, if there's no desire to go after Jesus, there's no will to to go any further than just being somebody who admires him and sits in in a chair once a week to hear about him. F. Jesus is calling us to a very simple examination. Hey, this is only four questions. Will you commit to praying daily and spending at least one minute more than half that time listening to the Lord for his instruction? Or serving as a priestly intercessor? Will you commit to going through the Bible in a year and knowing what God's word says? Will you get behind a ministry either inside of or outside the church and commit to giving to it to such a degree that it causes you to release something you like? You know what? I wanted to buy this for me, but I'm going to give this over here to this ministry. And will you choose an area of service personally and commit to doing it for one year? I can tell you this right now because I've talked to ministry leaders. Uh, Pastor Kent can tell you there is hardly an area of ministry that God has not given us a vision of increase for it. Where all we're waiting for is people who step up and say, I'll do that. I had a guy walk up to me this morning, shook my hand, introduced himself. Because I was talking about guys like Heath and Chris and they're, they're shaving down. Some of you notice half the hill's gone. We're getting ready for some new furnaces because these ones are like 25 years old and that's, that saved us probably a couple thousand dollars. Guys like Mark who are, who are doing that online sound booth and we're just a couple of weeks away from maybe getting ready to do that. Guys like Mark Wright who've been, who've been working around this building and come in here all week and, and you don't even see them, but they're, they're hungry just to release their talents. And so this guy came up to me and he's like, Hey, I do this, that, and the other. Call me. And he wrote his number down on this. And he said, really, for real, call me if you need this done. Because the Holy Spirit came behind. See, that's when you pass the test. Because the Holy Spirit says, you serious about taking this test? Yeah. You see that thing I put in your life? That ability I gave you? Yeah. I want you to turn it over to me for my use. What do you do? Do you release it to him? Or do you say, you know, that's going to really cut into my schedule. That's going to cut into my time. Some of us, man, we're like with our phones, we're like heroin addicts looking for a vein. Try to put that thing down. You know, we, we just were so addicted. And God says, you know, get in a secret place. Get in the quiet place. Put the phone down. Put 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 all the distractions down and just focus in on me. I'm going to close with this. But years ago, there was a guy and he was having surgery. And, uh, and, and he probably watching today. He's an old friend of mine. And and I I checked in on him and everything. And so after he got out of the hospital, because I didn't know him at the time, um, after he got out of the hospital, he, he wanted to call and say, say thank you. Now this guy had been in a church where the pastor from the pulpit on a Sunday in front of his wife and kids said, the woman I'm married to is not the woman God has for me. He was in love with a teenage girl who just graduated out of youth group. Then he went into another church and they hired this pastor on And they hired him to be full time, and the pastor went out and got another job, so he was getting two paychecks. And he confronted him and he said, You know, when are you preparing your sermon? When are you preparing? And he's like, Well, I got an hour and a half on the train each day. And I just, I'm like, Look, I've ridden that train in and out of boston there's no way you're preparing a sermon especially in the days before wi-fi there is no way you're preparing a sermon in, the, in that kind of mess and busyness that's why you need to get into the quiet place that's why you need to close the door so he calls me up and and he gets my wife and my wife says uh, no he's not available right now he's in prayer and this guy literally he, he, if he ever visits you can ask him he went up to his wife and said you're not gonna believe this what i, I just got a phone with, with at a church that pastor prays yeah, I mean, I mean, come on, man, I mean, how shocking should this be? But I'm sorry I can't. because unless you're bleeding from the eyes, I am in that secret place. To cover this place in prayer. I am in that secret place to listen to what God wants me to say to the congregation. I am in this place to try to bind the enemy from coming against the plans of God. I am in this place to intercede for the people that God is drawing unto himself. And I'm not here for me. See, if you're here Wednesday for our study in Haggai in Haggai 1, it's all about seek first. God sends his people back and he tells them, build the temple. In other words, seek first the kingdom of God. And they get busy with their own business. And all these bad things start to happen. Babies aren't being birthed and the crops aren't coming in and they're not seeing the, the results and they go to God and ask why. And God says, because you've left my house a ruin and you focused on your own house. But here's the cool thing in verse 14. Even in spite of all that, the people go to the, the messenger. And by the way, the high priest was named Yeshua, Jesus. That's where we get the word Jesus. And it said, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Yeshua, Joshua, son of Jozadak, the high priest and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. Let me tell you something. And I've been feeling I'm feeling it right now. God has been stirring up in my spirit just that he is he is moving and that he is on the move in this area and it's and it excites me and i am praying god stir up the spirit of the people of the bridge church so that we do more than just get excited about what you're doing we get involved in what you're doing